So today we're talking about clean hands and dirty hearts. You know, everybody has a sense, I think, that there's a need to have something covered in their life. Uh, there's a guilt our consciences, you know, before you're a Christian, you know that there's something internally wrong, the decisions that you make that, that you feel shame over or guilt over. I think everybody has that sense that there needs to be some kind of cleanness on the inside. And so through different areas of, you know, of life, religion, religious effort, even the fact people would go to church, I'm just going to go to church because then I'll feel clean. Uh, but even that doesn't even, you know, fix that remedy, that situation in our heart. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how does a person become clean? The disciples and Jesus were there in that we read about in Mark's gospel, chapter 7, and the religious leaders had gathered and the scribes had come from Jerusalem to do a little scouting trip because they'd heard that Jesus, they'd already had discussions with them. They, they knew the ministry was growing. They knew that the people saw him uh, in, in the light of more than a rabbi, that he was the Messiah. Last Sunday, we talked about how the people had gathered to actually, by force, make him the king because they recognized that he was the king sent by God. He was their Messiah. But here we read that they gather and they have some more accusations that they're going to throw at Jesus. So we'll read the first 14 verses together. It says this, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Hundreds of years before this moment, Isaiah prophesied of this group of religious leaders. He says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, what a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Pause for a second. You folks ever talk back to your parents when you're growing up? Boy, would not have done well in Galilee you know, 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> I've never seen that verse like in like the family hallway, <laughs> but that might be a good one, right? That's for me in my house. No, man, I'm going to go over here to uh, what Moses said. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God or dedicated to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. We'll pause there for a moment. 
He's talking about the emptiness of religious performance. They're eager to accuse Jesus. They've been looking for loopholes and you know, situations that they can sort of gather the data and eventually their data adds up to he must die, he must go away. Certainly falling in line with all that God had said uh, his purpose was coming was to die. But they wanted to get rid of him. And they're fault finding. They send the scribes from Jerusalem to just sort of check things out and now they noticed Uh, As they're watching with a critical eye, his disciples ate with unwashed hands. Now, this wasn't about hygiene. This wasn't about, you know, uh, we raised three boys, you know, boys are filthy and dirty and stuff. It's like, you know, before you like start digging in the chips and stuff like that. First of all, no double dipping at the Hall household. Uh, But, you know, wash your hands, you filthy rascal. Like, I can't believe you're going to eat with those filthy hands. So this isn't about like hygiene. This was about a religious ceremony that they had. There was a way that they would go about washing their hands in such a way that it was like, now we are clean from all the unclean, unholy people that we may have come in contact with throughout the day before we ate with our hands. They'd go to the market and they would buy a mango or, you know, something else that they would get, maybe a chicken or whatever. And, uh, and so, you know, the, that, that guy that worked, you know, at the farmer's market, I guess, if you would. And here's some eggs, you know. And so, oh, thank you. Here's your change. They would take the change. And, and because that, uh, a Gentile or, God forbid, a Samaritan or a woman had touched that coin, now I've touched it. I can never dishonor God. I have to follow the traditions. By the way, these are not tra- things that we see God commanding the children of Israel to wash in a certain way. These were all traditions that were passed down in the written form uh, that they were following and adhering to. So there was a way they would go about it, the way the water would drip off their hands and off their fingers, and now they're clean. And maybe there would be, you know, um, a, a fly that had flown and, and just sort of like landed on, you know, Joe Smith's shoulder, you know, this Gentile in Fresno, and then flew all the way over to Israel, and it landed on their copper pot. Well, gee, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have an unholy object. I need to wash it with, through this ceremony that they would do. This isn't about scrubbing it like, oh, dirty fly from Fresno, you know, landed on my pot. It's, oh, it could have been touched a Gentile's shoulder, and I need to wash this and clean this. And these were now, given the sense that they were honoring God, following these traditions that were passed down, not scripture, by the way. The traditions they started were kind of to be a reminder I think traditions are like that. We all have traditions in our households, right? In our families. And Christmas is a, probably, and Thanksgiving you have traditions that you're building. Uh, Tam and I have traditions. We're building new traditions now because, you know, our kids, we've got two kids that are married. And, you know, they're, you know it is what it is. They're going to build their new traditions and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and, and some of the traditions in your households, maybe if you broke them, it would be like what Moses said would happen to a kid dishonoring his parents. Like, you don't mess with mom's traditions. Their original intent was to remind them, guys, we're separate. We're, we're people that are called to, out of this world. We're the elect ones that God has chosen, the children of Israel. We're his chosen people. And so they, they come up with this hand-washing ceremony to remind them, guys, we're holy. We're, 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 we're to be separate from this world. Well, now it had just come to this place where it was just a ritual And it leads to pride. And that's what happened to them during this time. And they would wash the dishes too. Maybe we've got some traditions, right? That are religious practices that, you know, 
we think are going to make us more holy in God's eyes. When you start to pray, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like, have you ever prayed and then you forgot to say in the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer? And it's just like, all that effort went to waste, right? Because I just, I forgot those magical words. We, we pray in the name of Jesus, meaning we come by his merit. We have the door open to speak to God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ, or maybe you grew up in a church and they prayed in a different kind of voice and she wonder, well, God won't hear my prayer unless I really get into that prayer. You know what I mean? In the name of Jesus, whatever it is that your tradition was. Some people think going to church, that makes them a Christian, right? It's like, does it make you a Christian any more than going to Judy's makes you a donut hole or a maple bar? Traditions can be good as long as they don't challenge, in this case, the Scripture, the Word of God. The American church has a lot of traditions that we don't find in the Bible. You know, just the, there are all kinds of traditions maybe you grew up around. Um, you know, the, 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 the kind of rule of thumb is, what, what are we going to hold to as Christians? You know, things that are like ought to be in our life. Did Jesus practice it? Did the early church practice it? Do we see it in the book of Acts? They took communion. They baptized people, right? Uh, and do we see it taught about in the New Testament letters? That's sort of like the ground, the ground rules for what is like the thing that ought to be a part of the Christian's life? Things that Jesus did, things that we see the early church do, and things that were taught on in the New Testament letters. That's it. But we add things, you know, uh, I was thinking today, I remember the day that we just said, you know what, we're going to be a jean short-wearing church. We want to let people come as they are. And I remember actually going up to the oldest person at our church who I thought was the most religious person, Sandy and Lyle, remember them, they're living in Texas now. And uh, I went up to, I said, Sandy, I'm thinking about just like wearing jeans every single week. She's like, oh, I think you should wear jeans. I want people to feel like they're welcome to come here. And if you got your shiny shoes on and your, your slacks, and I'm like, Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for sending Sandy so I didn't derail our church and I'd be wearing a tie right now, which wouldn't be bad either. But you, I think you get the point. Does it really matter to God? I think that's where our issues are. If you're a shiny shoe church goer, awesome. But you're not more holy than a flip-flop wearing person. In fact, I think I would argue that Jesus probably looked more like rainbow flip-flop wearing guy than perhaps shiny <laughs> shoe guy. Music. We get, we, get, we get weird over our music. Like my grandma grew up playing the organ at her church, you know, and, uh, and then remember, you know, guitars and drums, right? It was a Daryl Mansfield song, right? Why should the devil have all the good music? Maybe you guys remember that song. It's like, does it really matter? What is God looking at when he looks at his people gathering weekly together? He's looking at our hearts. So music, guitars, drums, shiny shoes, flip-flops, any other thing that we might add to. Where the Bible is silent, we should be silent too and not create these traditions. Uh, philosophies that people hold to. I know the Bible says this, but gosh, did you hear Oprah the other day? I mean, it's just like she's the Messiah, or used to be, I guess. We live... We live in a day where there's a lot of cultural Christianity that we got to make sure that we don't impress on other people as if it's biblical Christianity. So Jesus calls them what they are, stage actors. 
He says, you're just acting. You're putting on a show. You're a hypocrite. That's what literally the word means. And your worship is in vain. You worship on the outside, but your heart is a million miles away. It's all external. The hand washing, the ceremonies, the rituals that they've participated in. As Jesus says, it's not just this issue and many such things you do. Well, it all adds up to that you're a hypocrite because you're not worshiping from the heart. You're also a hypocrite because you're putting the commands of human beings, as Isaiah said, as if they're equal or even greater in some cases than the scripture. That's what they held to. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's all about a heart issue. An inward love for God, not just an outward adherence to it. We see that Jesus teaches that, connects the dots. Here's the commandments of God. Thou shall not murder. But Jesus says, if you have hate stirring up inside of your heart, you might as well have just killed them, right? Adultery. We know, think, think of the destruction of adultery in our world. How many families of ours just collectively in this room have been destroyed by that? But Jesus says, but internally, that allowing lust to remain there and to thrive in your heart, it's going to lead to that act. It's a heart issue. It's not just I'd hear, I didn't murder anybody. Have you ever met people that have never murdered anybody? A lot of us in here. I mean, I'm venturing out and say all of us in here. Have you ever met a hateful person? And you just go, like, I know I've talked to murderers in the past. I know I've met with them, I'm sure, at some point, you know, in my life. That's kind of creepy to say, isn't it? It's sort of strange. And I would much rather have them as, a, well, I don't want to say that. I'm going to backtrack a lot right now. <laughs> Being around a hate-filled person with a religious exterior is one of the grossest things I've ever seen, right? When you just go, and you think that God applauds because you do this and you adhere to that and you have your rituals and your ceremonies and your heart's a million miles away. Isaiah's quote is saying they have no heart commitment to God. It's just to be seen as holy and to feel holy too. But they might have clean hands, but their hearts are filthy, Jesus will say, there's a danger for you and I where we could fall into the same kind of ritual traditions too. Our devos, our going to church, our singing worship songs. I think we've all had the tendency to have our mind drift a little bit to worship. You know, oh, did I switch out that player who has a bye week this week? My fantasy football? Oh my goodness, oh, I've got so much going on this week as we're singing worship songs to God. We can get into our devos, just check it off. It's on my task list every single day. Devo and prayer time. I wonder how many moments have been before the Lord where it's just, just that, task list, right? Oh, I read through the Bible this year. Should do it again because it didn't work very good, right? <laughs> keep, keep your heart in a place where it's, Lord, I want to live from an internal place vantage point, worshiping you who, in the very core of who I am, and not just external things. I tithe, I go to church, I serve, I give, you know, all these, you know, I read my Bible, I pray. I think 
All of us have a family member or know of someone where you just say, man, there's something wrong with the way you're doing this because it doesn't seem like you're getting closer to Jesus. In fact, you look more like the scribes and the Pharisees. We have all this stuff going on. Here's a question. Are there things that you personally do for God, right, in your life, but your heart is a million miles away? Can you think about, can you think, can you think of an area of your life or something that you practice as a follower of Jesus that's slowly drifting into the rut lane? And it's not really any longer about, I just want to know the Lord. I just want to walk with God. A simple walk with God. We can so complicate Christianity. Uh, it's why, it's why young people by the millions are rejecting their parents and grandparents' version of Christianity because they just saw it. They see it as just an, a, an external religion, like any other religion. It's good for us to process that. There's also a big difference between, and I think you and I need to acknowledge that, between the Word of God and traditions. Things that you may have grown up thinking, this is, this is biblical Christianity. Listen, if there's a conflict between the two, a tradition of your church background or a tradition of your, you know, religious sort of, you know, world mentally, uh, you got to follow the scripture. Their religion gave them a false security. We're the ones who are right, yet here's Jesus who's God, who was the one who inspired the prophet Isaiah to write these words, right? <clears throat> this prophecy is about you. The, 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 uh, Living Bible reads it like this. These people speak very prettily about the Lord, but they have no love for him at all. Their worship is a farce, for they claim God commands the people to obey their petty rules. God takes his word seriously. Nothing is a rival to God's word or should be in our lives. Nothing competes. And here Jesus says, you've done three things with God's word. Your tradition as you teach it as if it's God's truth, what you ended up doing is you laid it aside, the word of God, because of your tradition. You have rejected God's word because of your traditions, and you've robbed it of its power when you put a tradition above God's word. And he gives them an example, the fifth command. Big deal, right? Uh, it's, Paul says um, in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5 or, uh, or 6, to, uh, you know, children, obey your parents. It's the first command with a promise attached to it. You'll have a blessed long life if you seek to honor your father and your mother. And then Jesus says, and Moses also said, uh, anyone reviles their father or mother, they should be put to death. So this is kind of a big deal, right? Part of honoring your father and your mother is to, uh, is to take care of them when they get old. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And, and so, you know, if you have the ability to help your parents um, financially, you help your parents financially. And I'm not, I'm not, let's not talk, let's not like lump everything into some sort of weird lack of boundaries and unhealthy, you know what I mean? Um, just, right? I mean, I'm not even going to ask a show of hands, but I think we'd all say like, yeah, I got some jacked up mess in our families. Can I get a faint amen from somebody? <laughs> Unless your parents are here right now, <laughs> right? He said, this is a big deal, man. The scripture says this. 
But here's a fine way, you hypocrites, sneak around obeying God's word to keep your tradition. You have the means, property, money to help your parents along. But there's this new little law that, or tradition that was held at higher than the law in the, their minds is that if, if you said this is Corbin, let's say I've got, I don't know, a, some land and I sell corn from that land. And I said, you know what? Mom and dad, gosh, I know it's hard. Love to help you. But that 100 acres of corn is Corbin. I mean, it's been dedicated to God. And that means that uh, the only person that can benefit from it is the person who owned it and, and dedicated it to God. I mean, it's like your kids on Halloween night, they come home and they got that 100 grand bar. You say, yeah, listen, kids, let's talk about giving and tithing and all that kind of stuff. Your dad's a pastor. Let's talk this through, right? What is a tithe? It's 10%. Every 10 pieces of candy. You can... Who gives out the, those little corns, by the way? I mean, you, you know that neighbor hates those kids if they're given the little... Does anyone like those little candy corns? You do? You guys really do? Wow, man. It's like a... a a unicorn, I think I've seen. Actually, my oldest son, he loves those, those circus peanuts, those orange ones, you know, you know what I'm talking about? He got hooked on, we called it old people candy, because that's what my grandma would give him when he was a two-year-old, and he just loves that. And uh, anyways, so, but that little stingy kid goes like this. Well, you know what, Dad, here's the deal. I'd love to help you out tonight. I know you're kind of hurting and could use a little sugar rush. But you see, this bag is Corbin. It's dedicated to God. I, I, now, so, I mean, I feel you, but man, I, maybe you could get in your car and go to Rite Aid. I don't know, but this has been dedicated to the Lord. And it's just between him and I now. I get to still, because it's mine, but I dedicated it to the Lord. No one can use it now. And so he says, you have a fine way of doing this. And then, and then he, he even said, and, and when, a, when a fella gets kind of convicted in his heart, gosh, did I, really, did I really just tell my parents that I'm not able to help them because I'm so religious, I dedicated this to the Lord? They would say, hey, guess what, fella? In the, in the, in the law, it says that when you make an oath, he says, you won't even let him back out of it. It's not even a real command in the first place, this tradition of Corbin. He says you no longer permit them to help their parents because that thing was dedicated that they'll benefit from it if it's you know, dedicated to the Lord and they want to give it to the temple, the priests and, and the uh, Pharisees and the religious leaders can participate. And Jesus says you have hundreds of traditions like that. Here's here's a lesson that we we gain from this understanding of having clean hands but dirty hearts. Number one is this. A clean heart doesn't come from religious effort. You have a dirty heart. I have a dirty heart. But going to church, putting a show on, trying harder will never clean your dirty heart. Religious effort can't do it. He says, guys, wash away. But your issue is deeper than you touched a coin 
from a Gentile. And then it says in verse 15 or 14, and he called the people to him again and said, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside can't defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Can you imagine one of the disciples eating bacon for the first time? You know, there was dietary laws in the Old Testament to keep the nation of Israel not only separated, but healthy so that they could be prolonged as a people group. Oh, by the way, to bring a Messiah baby into the world that we worship as our God, right? So there was dietary laws, but Jesus now says, meat's back on the menu, boys. You can eat all you want. Can you imagine that moment? They're just like, oh, I feel so holy eating this bacon. And I'm not suggesting that if people want to eat, you know, eat what you want to eat. It doesn't make you holy and it doesn't make you unholy. And he said to them, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. And then everything else on this list, it flows from that. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, Deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That list right there, I'd imagine, and it's not an exhaustive list. There's a lot that that I'm sure that Paul would add later on in the New Testament. Uh, That's the part that makes you and I just go like, ugh. Like that part of me, if it's not just the actions that he mentions, the spirit behind the actions, you just go, yeah, that's the yucky part of my life that I want to see changed. But it can't change through religious effort. Foods and rituals might make you feel religious or closer to God, but in reality, they do nothing to make you closer to God or holy. These ceremonial washings that they would do, they didn't do anything for them. They're not more holy because he did them. They're not less holy. The disciples aren't because they didn't do them. This reminder that started, gang, we're separate, now has just become this religion equal to or even greater than them trying to keep the commands of God. You might feel worse physically eating certain foods. You might feel better you know, physically eating certain foods, Right? I mean, hey, you can have, you know, Rocky Road ice cream tonight for dinner. You can have, you know, kale salad and, I don't know, some, some really healthy fish. And you might feel a little bit better eating the Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> in, in your heart, you'll feel better about it. Right? Religion, religious effort can't clean the inside of your heart. Jesus makes it clear. Holiness is a heart issue. The world is broken. People are broken. Sin has corrupted the world because humans are corrupt at the heart level. All these things proceed out of the heart of man. And religion and ceremonies cannot get to the heart. 
It's been said, I think, is a great statement. The heart of every problem is the problem with every heart. You think about all the issues that you face or deal with, the, the, the mess, the brokenness, the sin, internally, externally, people you know, stuff you read on TV, read on TV, stuff you uh, watch on TV, news feeds that pop up, you just go, what? Our world is so evil. People are so bad. Guess what? You all are contributors of it, right? We all are messed up at the heart level. We have a saying, oh, they have such a good heart. Really? <laughs> really? They, they might do generous things, but you know, man, deep down inside, that's a filthy heart because you yourself have one. I think it was G.K. Chesterton. As editorial was written, and, uh, and, and it was the, the, the article was about what's wrong with the world. He wrote in the next week and says, Dear sirs, I am. G.K. <laughs> Chesterton. That's what's wrong with the world. Us. Every area of life is infected by sin. It originates in the heart. I've shared this story before. Tam and I were youth pastors down in, in, in Laguna Beach. It was like a long freaking time ago, wasn't it? It's was like a couple decades back. Caden, our youngest, who uh, is uh, serving in the Navy, uh, God corrected his heart that was broken and messed up. Uh, two years old, got in some naughty trouble at, youth, uh, at church Wednesday night, on a Wednesday night. And I'm cleaning up, you know, uh, the youth room. We rent it out in Laguna Beach area and still doing that as a church, <laughs> set up and tear down. And so Tammy takes him home and, you know, pastor's kid gets, you know, busted in Wednesday night service. You know what I mean? It's like, we gotta, we gotta, actually, Tammy and I made a, a, a law, a, a tradition, if you would. It's like, don't treat my kids worse because they're a pastor's kids. Don't treat them better if they're a pastor's kid. Just treat them like a kid. Guess what? They're gonna say things and do things and be a little kid just like all the other little kids. This one happened to be a naughty kid that night. So Tam's like talking to him like, hey, listen, man, you gotta, you gotta, you can't be doing this kind of stuff. Two and a half years old, Caden. And he explained it like this. He explained this theology of his heart better than any book I've ever read. He says, you know, it's like this, mom. In my heart, I want to be good. He goes, but then my heart flips over and it wants to be naughty. You know what I mean? Like Smeagol. <laughs> like, it's mine. Give me the ring of power. And I just can't, you know, so how do you discipline a kid like that? It's like, dude, great Bible study tonight, Caden. Thank you very much. <laughs> Who can help us? We, we got this dirty heart. How do we get help? You know, if, if it was left here, it's just like, and man, uh, all the evil that proceeds into this world comes from my heart. Well, guys, I'll see you later. The solution is we need a changed heart. Our defilement has nothing to do with how we eat or what we eat. Jesus made all foods clean in that statement. Sin resides in the heart. It comes forth from there and it defiles a person's life. Dirty hands don't make a dirty heart. Sin does that. Clean ones don't make a clean heart. Religion can't do that. Trying harder can't do that. It's not what comes into a person. It's what comes out that reveals where a person really is. The heart of a person. Spiritual defilement or purity exists there. Sin doesn't start in the stomach, it's in the heart. And it comes out revealing 
well, all the true impurities of our life. And external rules can't change that. So what can cleanse us? Rituals and ceremony? Trying to keep the law? There's a lot of people that are like, man, I'm trying to get you know, in a right relationship with God. I'm trying to keep the law. You know, like, okay, how's that going? Well, it's, it's not going so good. Have you, ever, have you ever read through the Ten Commandments? And then realize it's not just the act, it's the spirit behind the commandments. Then you go like, we've broken all ten. Before you even had lunch, <laughs> you've broken all ten commandments. No religious effort can do it. If this was the end, they're all doomed. You looked at religious leaders and you thought, those guys are kicking butt in the spiritual world, right? Because you just see them so dedicated. And if those guys are having dirty hearts and can't clean it up by doing more, how are we going to? How can we be clean? Well, here's the, here's the second lesson. Clean hearts, it comes only through the work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> His work is the only thing that can clean our filthy hearts. To be right with God, we need a cleansed heart. Humans are sinners. We're unable to change or control our nature. This is why Jesus came, to die for sinners, to make a way for us to be truly clean. Paul describes it like this in Romans 3. He says, for no one, in verse 20, can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. We used to sing a song way back in the day in church. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As an 18-year-old new Christian, that sort of creeped me out. I'm not going to lie. It's like, blood? What are you singing about here? What can make my, you know, what, what, can, what can wash away my sins? The stain in my heart, the corruption that Jesus described that I know is real and true Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It needs cleansing. It's only through Jesus that it can happen. And then, by the way, when you read through that list, Jesus begins to change us. We're new creatures now in his sight. We get a new heart, Ezekiel tells us. And then he begins to change us from the inside out. Not a religious effort. Go to this class do these 10 things and you'll have a heart that's pure, you know, and you'll be able to live out the Christian life by doing all these things. Guess what? You know what it comes by? It comes by simply walking with Jesus on a daily basis. Confession and repentance. Lord, there's theft in my heart. God, there's envy in my heart. God, there's coveting in my heart. And just see it pop up. Lord, I just want to confess that to you. Guess what? As you and I become a disciple, really an apprentice of Jesus, where every single day we're spending time with him, every single day we're allowing him to mold and shape our thoughts and our actions, 
Every single day when we cross that line and say, you know what, Lord, that was wrong of me to talk to my spouse like this or to talk to my, you know, coworker like that or to make this decision, right? Because, gee, I want people to be impressed by me, so I need to buy crud. You know what I mean? And you go, Lord, that's just a coveting heart. That's just, I'm just trying to get people to think something of me that I know and you know isn't true. We just go, Lord, I want to surrender that to you as well. That's what happens. And he changes an angry, selfish, lustful, covenant heart into a new one that starts living out this new humanity as an apprentice of Jesus. It's Paul that tells us how we're forgiven and cleansed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Faith in the Son of God can wash away our sinful hearts and make us new. And that's also how he changes us as we're new creatures in him. We accept his free gift of eternal life. We believe in his death and resurrection from the dead when he died in our place. And he gives us a new heart. And as we grow in him, as an apprentice of Jesus, as a man and woman who reads our Bible and allows it to saturate our soul, we meditate on it, we seek to apply it to our life, we pray it into our life, Lord, I want to become more like this of what I'm reading here in your word. And he begins to sort of change us at the heart level. I think all of us, you know, we want to be more fruitful. I want to bear fruit. Right? I want to be more loving. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it, it's broken out and, and, and described that it's peace, it's joy, it's love rejoicing, it's love being peaceful. Right? Lord, I want more of that. How do I get that? You know what I mean? What, what class can I do? What program can I be in? It's, it's, it's a long journey of walking with God. How many of you guys have been walking with God for over 20 years? Anybody here today? Yeah? 30 years, 40 years. How many of you guys have been 40-year people? Uh, did some math. I'm like 30-something maybe years, I guess. Uh, isn't it amazing how much dirt is still there? <laughs> you just go, you know what I mean? Like, let's just be honest, man. When I first got saved, I was like, Lord, if you could help me stop smoking pot and stop cussing, especially at church, Oh, that'd be a big win, Lord, right? Big win. And then you start doing the real heavy lifting. You're going, oh, that, that's the easy stuff, right? But see, that's the clean Christian version that we, you got five things you cleared up. All right, man, you're all on the right track. That's a, that's just become, you just become a Pharisee. We just produce little Pharisees in our kids' ministry. They act like a good Christian, and guess what? Stage actor. That's all it is. It's an act. How about, man, learn to turn to the Lord when you're sad. Carry your heavy heart to the Lord in prayer. Let him speak to you every day in his word, right? Instead of all the, here's all the laws, and by the way, Here's the Hall Hamley Mishnah, you know, which is this passed down oral tradition of like, you're going to be a good citizen. Walk with God and you will realize, well, that he's making you more into his image and you'll also realize there's a long way to go. 
And that's the good news. I love that Fuego reminded us this morning uh, that, man, God takes us right now, accepts us right now, who we are right now. Doesn't turn us away. It's a great reminder. When you think through the past week and you go, oh, I failed here, Lord, and I, did I pray enough for today's sermon? You know, did, all these different things. You just go, man, Lord, you, you, you knew who I was going to be next Monday when you allowed me to be a part of your kingdom and welcomed me and adopted me as your son before I had a chance to do one good thing or one bad thing. So today, man, you go, Lord, thank you that that's how I get clean. It's not more effort, not trying harder. I'm clean because of the blood of Jesus. And God, thank you that you are on a journey with me to change that angry, selfish heart into a loving, living an other-centered life because I'm spending time with you as a disciple. That transformation comes not through rituals, friends. It comes through walking with God on a daily, consistent basis. And when you leave your Bible on the bedside, you don't read it for a week or a month or whatever, you know, the first moment you say, ah, oh, I need to spend some time with the Lord, it's not like you open it up and he says, where have you been? Right? Your grandma might, her voice will come in your ear. You need to get back to church. She's right, by the way. But that's not how God is. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be clean. That's, that's the best news we've got, right? What great news. How do you get rid of your dirty heart? You bring that filthy thing to Jesus, and he gives you a new one, and he forgives you of your sin. And then, by the way, he helps you transform into a different kind of person because now he's in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for a reminder today for all of us. God, we, um, I'd imagine that we have some recovering, uh, hardcore churchgoers that, Lord, have, um, Lord, all from a, a pure heart, Lord, of just wanting to do right. Lord, there's so many things and so many traditions that need to fall by the wayside in our minds. And, and just, Lord, to stay part in that simple place of walking with you and knowing you. Thank you, Lord, that you've revealed to us today that um, our hearts aren't clean by more effort. Our hearts aren't clean because we, try hard, we tried harder that less last week. Our hearts aren't clean because we sang loud this morning. Lord, they're clean because we have a faith in you, Jesus. And you cleansed us of our sin. You maintain our forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for that. That, Lord, today we are right and clean in your eyes because of our faith in you. It's mind-blowing for us. And yet it's true because it's what your word says. And so, Lord, help us to be men and women who live by your truth, what you say about us and about how a heart can be clean. Lord, help us, God, to uh, take that message to our friends, to those around us who are still on that treadmill of performance, trying harder, or thinking that all the things they're doing is going to gain favor in your sight. And yet, Lord, it's just exhausting. Lord, help us to, to share the good news that our sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And Lord, to walk with you in a simple way 
It's the greatest life we could live. Help us to do that this week, God. Help us to inch closer and closer to you this week. As we spend time in prayer, we think and ponder upon your word. We have more of it intaking into our life and our heart. And Jesus, help us, God, to raise our kids, our grandkids, Lord, with that same simple truth, Lord. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And to walk with you, to seek to know you, the fact that you open yourself to us, that we might get close to you. Lord, help us, God, to to raise up a bunch of little apprentices of Jesus in our community. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. And we ask you to bless us today. In the name of Jesus, amen.